Get this and get it straight. Crime is a sucker's road, and those who travel it wind up in the gutter of the prison or the grave. This time I started with a Romanian from left field, got misled in the Philippine jungles, chased a beautiful blonde clear to Venice, and wound up with a friend from Siam, all without ever leaving Los Angeles. It happened like this. From the pen of Raymond Chandler, outstanding author of crime fiction, comes his most famous character in The Adventures of Philip Marlowe. Now, with Gerald Moore starred as Philip Marlowe, we bring you tonight's exciting story, The Sword of Cebu. Where is the office of Philip Marlowe, the detective, maybe? Yeah, sure. Right around the corner here to your left. Oh, thank you very much. Uh-huh. My friend, you uh, you know this Mr. Marlowe, eh? Well, yes. Yeah, I think you could say I know him. Tell me, he is a reliable man? Well, it depends on what you want to rely on him for. Excuse me, will you? I want to unlock the door. What? You are Philip Marlowe? Yeah, you're so right. Uh, come on in, Mr. Uh, never mind. Now listen to me. I will pay you twice what Henry Pound has offered to you. Also, I will add to that $1,000 for a bonus. Wait a minute, wait a minute. What is this, Henry Pound, a thousand? Please, please, I have not the time for haggling. We make it $2,000. But you must work for me, not for Henry Pound. You only pretend to work for him. Now, look, bud, in the first place, I haven't heard from Henry Pound since I worked for him four years ago. Second place, I still don't know who you are or what you want. Maybe you better sit down over there, start at the beginning, and tell me. You are lying! You are trying to trick me. Very well, Mr. Marlowe. The short, dumpy man with wild black hair turned suddenly savage, swung a hard fistful of knuckles at my front teeth and piled me back up against my office desk. By the time I got out into the hall, he was gone. I was going to follow him, but my phone, screaming for attention inside, stopped me. I decided to be philosophical about it. After all, screwballs find me all the time. Hello, Marlowe speaking. Phil, this is Henry Pound. Remember me? Yes, yes. I just had a reminder. I've been trying to get hold of you for two hours. My boy, where have you been? Out to dinner. Now, listen, Mr. Pound, I just... No, first, Marlowe. This is most important. What? I need your help again, immediately. It no doubt includes a stubby crumb with a head full of wild black hair and a nasty temper that left you on the run ten seconds ago. Kurt Babesco. Whatever you call him, it's probably it. Babesco. Kurt Babesco. He's the one man I have reason to fear, Marlowe. Come out here to my place at once, will you, my boy? Old Henry Pound's future is dangling over a very deep abyss by the merest thread, all because the sword is gone. What sword? What sword are you talking about, Mr. Pound? From the island of Cebu in the Philippines, the sword of Cebu. What? It means everything to me, and it's gone, vanished. I must have it back. Hurry, Marlowe. Twenty minutes later, I pulled up in front of the walled-in jungle Henry Pound called home and zigzagged in through an Okinawan anti-evil spirit gate. Waded past the grove of dripping elephant ears and ragged banana trees and finally made the front door. The house itself, from turned-up eaves to thatched Nipa Lanai, must have been gathered piecemeal on Pacific Islands, all the way from Hokkaido to the New Hebrides. It was Henry Pound himself who answered the door. Oh, Marlowe! <laughs> you know, <laughs> the only thing wrong with you is I never get to see you except when I'm in trouble. That's the business I'm in. <laughs> well, come in, come in. Sure, sure. 
Hey, it's quite a place you have here, Mr. Pond. Ah, uh, the islands, my boy, yes. <laughs> Since business keeps me away from them, I brought their atmosphere here to me. Even the music, huh? <laughs> All but the mosquitoes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shoo-shoo. Now, stay away from underfoot, will you? Go on, get. Shoo-shoo, huh? That's an albino Siamese, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's quite unusual. Yeah. <laughs> but he sheds that abominable white fur of his like any common cat this time of year. Yeah. <laughs> uh, by the way, did you see my servant, Hideki? Was I supposed to? Well, when I couldn't reach you by phone, I sent him down to your office to wait. Well, he must have gotten lost then. Well, no matter. Now, let's get on to cases, my boy. Now, uh, sit down, sit down, will you please? And uh, listen closely. All right. My uh, my major business, as you remember, is importing pearls from the Orient. Yeah, I remember. And uh, since you worked for me last, I acquired a partner, a fine fellow named Voss in Manila. Mm -hmm. With his contacts there and mine here in the States, we've been extremely successful. Was he the one who sent you that sword you mentioned? Yes, it arrived two days ago, but oh. uh, he sent over half the curios you see in this room. <laughs> That's why I failed to realize that there was anything uh, special about the sword of Cebu. Well, what is so special about it, Mr. Palm? Here. Read this letter I got from him. Hmm. Henry, I'm certain now there's going to be trouble. From one Kurt Bibesco in particular. The man you saw tonight. Yeah, oh, I see. However, I've taken every precaution. Rest assured, Henry, that if anything ever happens to me, I shall somehow get the complete list of my contacts here into your hands. Oh. Sincerely, Eugene Voss. Well? Eugene Voss was murdered four days ago in Manila. Murdered for that list of contacts. You think the sword ties in in some way? Well, I'm positive of it. Yeah. Well, what's it look like? Well, it's, uh, it's three feet long, Marlowe. The handle and the sheath are from the same gorgeous piece of white mahogany and uh, literally covered with intricate and exquisite carvings. Sounds wonderful. Oh, it is. When the sword is in the sheath, the two pieces form a complete pattern. Mm -hmm. I thought of it at once, of course, but when I came in to examine it again, it was gone, stolen. Naturally, I, I I called you instead of the police. I've got to get it back, Marlowe, intact and without publicity. Why, that sword is worth... Uh, uh, what the... Hi, Dickie. Hey, he's hurt. Hi, Dickie. Oh, Mr. Palm. Hi, Dickie, very sorry. He did not see honorable Mr. Marlowe. Hi, Dickie was attacked outside the minute he left. By a stocky guy with wild black hair? Oh, yes, yes, uh. not him, yes. He find out where Hi, Dickie was going, then he hit Hi, Dickie. That all Hideki remember until a few minutes ago when he waked up again. Oh, well, uh, do you need a doctor, Hideki? Oh, no, no, thank you. Just the same, Mr. Pound. Hideki already feel much better. Well, if you're sure, if, if you... Uh, <coughs> well, now you better go lie down oh, anyway. so, so, thank you. We'll wash head first and be ship-shaped no time. Yeah. Uh, very sorry, Hideki was well, such a fool, Mr. Pound. Excuse me, very sorry. Well, now... That explains how Babisco got to your office, my boy. He's our man, all right. Yeah, but I don't think Babisco has the sword. You see, he's looking for it. He offered 2,000 bucks to me to double-cross you. Oh. I can't understand it. Babisco is the only one who might know the truth about the sword. If he didn't take it, then who... Oh, Shusu, you stupid cat, get out of there. Look out! Uh, I knew it. Now see what you've done, broken my siling vase. He was playing with a piece of paper over there. Wait a minute. Oh, yeah, yeah, here it is. Eh? Hey? It's a rent receipt made out of somebody somebody named Saunders. Uh, let me see it. Sure. Received $40. Rent one month in advance for 812 Front Street, Venice. It is dated yesterday. Marlowe, I've, I've never heard of this Saunders person, yet this thing was dropped here in my house. Perhaps by our thief, Marlowe. Do you realize what a break this is? Dropped isn't the word. This was deposited. Oh, what do you mean? It's a plant. It's a plant complete with name, address, and date. 
was left here by someone who wanted it to be found, because whoever has the sword of Cebu right now might also have it up for sale. I think you're right, my boy. Uh, what do you plan to do? The only thing I can do, go to Venice and strike a bargain in our favor, I hope. I'll call you, Mr. Pound. I pushed my way out through the jungle of my car, turned around at the dead end of the street and went down the way I'd come. At the first intersection, leaning against the lamppost, was six feet of lantern-jawed redhead in a turtleneck sweater and seaman's jacket. Gave me a hard, steady once-over until I was out of sight. Later, halfway to Venice, I picked up a pair of very sticky headlights in my rearview mirror, but lost them again. I turned out to Front Street and finally found number 812 all by itself out at the far end. I parked a block away and walked back. It was a battered, rickety beach shack. I moved in gently and found a crack wide enough to look through. There was no furniture, just one big packing crate, a kerosene lamp, and a... and a blonde. Ho, ho, what a blonde. She belonged in that joint like an orchid in a blacksmith. In one hand, she held a cigarette, in the other, a small automatic. I went quietly to the back of the house, found a tin can, and threw it. And I plastered my back up beside the door and waited. She came out slowly, gun first, and when there was enough showing to get a hold of... I grabbed! Let go! Oh, my gun, sister, come on, give! There! That's better. Now we can go in and talk, huh? You think you're so clever. I get by. Hey, cozy little spot you picked. You got here, so it serves its purpose. Who are you? Philip Marlowe, Henry Pond's private detective. Where's the sword? Oh, we've things to talk over. Your first. bargaining position is lousy, Miss Saunders. What's the offer? Zero, baby. I'm getting it back for free. Now, where is it? Take your hands off me. The sword is here in the house. But the scabbard isn't. And one's quite worthless without the other, you know. You're not taking a lot of chances, are you, kid? The sword has already brought me $5,000, Marlowe. And I've only just begun. So make an offer. And make it good. You're a liar. So it's not worth one-tenth that. Not of itself, no. But this one's special, and I know why. And I'll tell you something else. You bet you will. You'll tell me where it isn't fast. Not that fast, mister. Don't move. Uh, Drop the gun. Now you can turn around. Well... A lantern jaw with red hair. So you were tailing me after all. Yeah, you said it. Now, wait a minute. Shut up. But I... Get out. The front door. Go on, go on, beat it. I'll see you later. Now you, mister. Now what? Now we sit down, a couple of smart guys, and find a good, sensible way to work this out. Only I'm just a little smarter, because I got the only gun. Keep talking. What'd you say the sword was? Speak up, fella. Time's running out. Sounds like time's not the only thing that's running out, Red. Somebody's in the back room. Sorry, Tootsie, but now this only works one way. Oh! Oh. I couldn't tell how long I'd been out. But I felt like I'd lost at least a weekend in somebody's boiler factory. I got back far enough to realize that something was going through my pockets. It was snaggletooth, had a week's growth of beard, and put the room in need of a healthy spring of sweet air. Yeah, yeah that, that's a little better. <laughs> I thought you was done in there for a minute. Yeah? Who are you? Oh, what happened anyway? Yeah, that's what I'd like to know. Uh, call me Sid. Okay, yes. Sid. Yeah, thank you. I, I was walking along the beach out there like I always do, and all of a sudden I heard a Ooh. scream. You know, like it was a wounded cat. Uh -huh. It came from in here. And I know this house has been empty for years. Was it you who screamed? No, no, I went out too fast. Yeah. 
Well, I come a-running, and just when I stepped up in the porch, a fellow in a pea-jacket come charging out and beat it down the street. Yeah, yeah, I remember. Red and the noise in the back. Oh! Oh! Have you been in there, that back room? Me? Yeah. Sid? No, I... I just looked this far, and, and I found you. Yes. Hey, well, what, what's it all about, mister? What, what's back in there? Hey, bring that kerosene lantern, will you? Uh, yeah. Yeah, sure. Here, I, I got it. Look, a guy. Yeah, a wild-haired Romanian named Bibesco, with a sword of Cebu sticking clear through him. Dead center. Now with our star, Gerald Moore, we continue with the second act of Philip Marlowe and tonight's story, The Sword of Cebu. While the beachcomber gaped like a marionette with broken jaw strings at the impaled body of Kurt Babesco slumped at our feet, I quickly covered the room in the back porch which led to the beach outside looking for the wooden sheath that belonged to the Sword of Cebu, just in case... Claire Saunders had been bluffing. But five minutes of that got me nothing more than a little exercise and a lot of salt air. Well, what should we ought to do now, mister? Call the cops? Yeah, I guess so. Sure would like to take that sword. So would I, Junior. But the homicide boys are kind of narrow-minded. You see, they like their corpses as is. Yeah? Come on, let's get to a phone. Okay. Nearest one's a couple of blocks away. You got a car? Yeah, it's out front. Uh, got a light? Yeah, here's some matches. Thanks. Uh, hey, wait a minute. Huh? What do you do with the conga club? Me? Yeah. Oh, them matches ain't mine. Just pick them up off in that barrel. Come on. Conga club, huh? You know where it is? Yeah, sure, it's right here in Venice. Ex-Marine runs oh? it. Kind of wild, though. Cops raided it once. They had some dancing. Where girls. is it? Where is it? Come on, it could be important. Oh, straight down Front Street, Broadway, then left one block, and you're there. Uh-huh. Now, look. You call the cops and get back here and wait till they come. Tell them my yeah. name is Philip Marlowe. I'm a private detective. Uh, yeah. I, oh, oh, no. No, sir, not me. I ain't waiting here alone. Ten bucks? That's all? You heard me here. Tell the law I'll get in touch as soon as I can. Also, Sid, I'll match that ten the next time we meet, if you've kept your mind on your work. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. But where will I tell him he went to? The conga? You catch on fast. The conga, Junior. What'll it be, Max? Uh, scotch and a little information. Girl named Claire Saunders, uh, dressed in a white linen. I never uh, heard of her, Max. Oh. I see so many people, you know. Yeah, sure. Now, you get what I mean, don't you, Max? Oh, of course, yeah. Well, you better make that a double scotch. I'm through. He should have known better. Trusting a fast dame with every cent of his war bonus, a jerk. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Huh? War bonus? Yeah. Who, who should have known better? Well, I, uh... Hey, Sarge, I'm running out of ammunition. Yeah, I'll be with you in a minute, Kelly. Wait a minute. Look, who should have known better, mister? My kid brother back in New York. He's a vet. Marines. Yeah. He got his check from the state, and he turned it over to this Claire Saunders. They were going to get married. That's what she said. And that was the last he saw of her. Oh, well, it happens every day. He'll know better the no, next no, time. Wait, wait a minute, Mac. I, uh, 
just happened to remember. I know the doll. You do? Yeah. Been around a couple of days now. It's pretty flush, all right. Know where she's staying? Yeah, sure I do. A ritzy motel about four blocks from here, the pavilion. Pavilion, huh? Yeah. She got bungalow 10 there, Mac. I know because she was complaining about it being the N1 and too long a run for the bellhop and a cracked ice detail. Oh. You go get her, Mac. And when you do, tell a kid brother that another ex-Marine tipped you off. Yeah, you bet I will. Bellhop, ice. Oh, there must be some mistake. And you made it. Here, we're going to straighten it out right now. Get your filthy hands. Quiet down, Duchess. Now, sit down over there. Doing as much as bad a false eyelash. While you do what? Take inventory, baby. I know you're alone because I played Peeping Tom before I played Bellhop. Chambermaids do a much needed job on bedspreads. All right. So it's under the pillow. So you've got the sheet. Now, what are you going to do with it? And without the sword. Are you kidding, Duchess? You don't think I missed that back room at the cottage, do you? You found the sword there? And Kurt Babesco, who's wearing the sword the hard way, through his insides. Somebody... Somebody was killed with a sword. Oh, come on, come on. It's a little late for that wide-eyed pitch, baby. It doesn't your carrot-top partner tell you every time he kills? Kamala, you got everything wrong. Oh, sure, sure I have, yeah, sure. But uh, just for laughs, let's pass it and you along to the cops, huh? Oh, no, please don't, please. I'll tell you everything, Marlowe. Turner isn't my partner. He hardly knows me. That's better. Now, just who's Turner? The man with the red hair. Uh-huh. Oh, Marlowe, believe me. I can explain everything. Okay, let's try it. Did you steal the sword from my client, Henry Pound? Yes or no? Yes. Why? Uh, Marlowe, uh, let me start at the beginning. A week ago in Manila, please. All right, let's have it. It was late in the afternoon, and I was shopping for a handbag, just looking in store windows. When suddenly, I noticed a man hurrying down the opposite side of the street. A man who turned out to be Eugene Voss, Henry Pound's partner, maybe? That's right. Mm. I could tell he was afraid of something, Marlowe. He, he darted into a curio shop nearby. A minute later, I saw Turner. You know him? Just slightly. We, we'd met once. Obviously, he was following Voss. But he, he didn't go into the curio shop. Instead, he, he, he hid close by. And then when Voss came out, he shot him, Marlowe. Just like that, huh? He, he was gone before anyone knew what had happened. I ran over to Voss to see if there was anything I could do to help. But there wasn't. He was dying Oh, it was frightful. Please, Marlowe, I, I, I'd like a drink. They're on the desk. When you're through, go on, go on. What happened next? Well, he told me to take the money in his billfold, $5,000, to take it all for delivering a message. About the sword? Yes. I was to get in touch with Henry Pound here in Los Angeles and tell him that the sword which Voss had just purchased in the curio shop was on its way, that he should pay special attention to it. And then he died. Mm-hmm. Well, you decided that 5,000 bucks was an awful lot for playing messenger boy, huh? Yes. So you said nothing to the police, grabbed the first plane for L.A., got the pounds place here, and swiped the sword, right? I figured if it, if a delivering the message was worth $5,000, the sword itself would be worth a lot more. But you had no idea why. Oh, no. Maybe a code in the pattern of the design and the jewels in the handle. Probably not the sword itself. Yeah, you figured right, little schemer. Here, here's your drink. Thank you. Oh. Oh. The rest, of the, the, rest story. of the story I can fit together myself. 
You knew you had something, but you didn't know what. So you swiped the sword, you left an obvious clue to an empty cottage, that rent receipt, you counted on it to start the ball rolling, and it certainly did. Who would that be? I don't know. Find out. Who is it? Turner, I want to talk to you. Just a minute. You still sure you're not partners, baby? Yes. I told you the truth, Marlowe. All right, answer it. I'll wait here in the closet with the door open wide enough for the barrel of a thirty-eight, just in case you've never been to Manila. Go on. Tommy! Open up, hurry! Close it quick, that peeper may be around. Who? The one I slugged over at the cottage. It wasn't there when I went back. Just some bomb I scared away. Went back? Yeah, yeah, I went back. After you ran, there was some excitement, sweets. First I slugged the peeper because I heard some noise in the back. I thought it was you. Me? I never returned to the cottage. I know it. It was a louse named Babesco. I got him all right. <laughs> With the very sword he was after. The little number right here in my hand. He was competition. So were you, sweets, except that uh, I doped your angle a long time ago. What do you mean? Well, Voss told you something before he died in Manila. I stopped after I ran, doll. I even came back. I saw you go for his billfold. Saw him mumble something. When I ran into you again here in L.A., I knew you were swinging in the dark. It was a nice try, sweets. But you missed. Now, give me the sheath. These two belong together. Come on, hand it over. You don't want me to be rough to you, doll. No. Here. Here it is. Oh, that's better. Like I said, they belong together. Together. Huh. That's funny. They should fit with... <laughs> what are you laughing at? The answer, sweets, a slip of paper with a list of people on it. I think it's crumpled in the bottom of this sheath here, and that's why the sword won't go all the way home. Yeah, here it is. A piece of paper. A valuable piece of paper. Sure, names what? and numbers of all the players. What? Hats and... Marlowe. Marlowe, he, he's dead, isn't he? Yeah, about as dead as a guy named Eugene Voss was last week on a sidewalk in Manila. Or the party called Bibesco. What is it? Turner's dead, but I don't think his partner is. Molly, you thought I was his partner. Hmm? Oh, yes, yes, and I thought wrong, Claire. But now I got a little more to go on. I'll see you, honey. Oh, no, wait. What am I supposed to do? Call the police and explain it all away as a practical joke? Marlowe, have a heart. Where are you going? Back to my client, little dreamer. I think you can give me a line on that partner. Be good. I was an hour plus driving slowly back to the transplanted world on Crestline Drive, and all the way I kept adding and subtracting all the screwball figures I'd run into, hoping that someplace I'd find a mistake. When I was there through the junior jungle and standing at the front door, I knew that my hunch was right. Marlowe, you've got the sword? Sword and sheath alike, Mr. Pound. They're ah. in my car. Also, I got news. Bibesco's dead. Well, I'm not sorry. So is Turner. Tur well, I don't know any Turner, but why haven't you brought the sword and sheath in with you? Because they don't count, Mr. Pound. There wasn't any code in the pattern on either one. The answer was a slip of paper jammed down in the sheath. Here, is that what we're after? Well, let me see. Yes. Yes, Marlowe, this is it. Oh, mm -hmm. I knew he wouldn't fail me. I knew Voss was loyal. I knew it. Oh, better than that, Mr. Pound. You counted on it. And don't move a finger, Happy. It's a great night for killing. Now what? go on. Into the study. We're going to use the phone. 
Marlowe, you're in trim. Sure, sure I am. So much so that I let the hairs from an affectionate Siamese cat change my mind. About everything. Keep moving. Uh, the cat? What, what, what do you mean? I mean the Turner who shot Eugene Voss in Manila, who murdered Babesco out at the beach, who I just killed before he could kill me, had white hairs from a molting white Siamese cat all over his suit. What? The same kind of white hairs I got on mine when Shushu rubbed against me. Now go on, open that door. In other words, Pound Turner was a friend here, not foe, and from there on in it all figures. Or do you still think I'm insane? Yes, I... I... No, Marlowe, you're right. You bet I'm right. Turner was in this with me. A partner, you might say. You see, I knew that Eugene Voss was worried about competitors. Like Bibesco, go on. Well, I... I knew that Voss would see I got his client's list, the pearl dealers, if his life was really in danger and... That gave you a brilliant idea. Put his life in danger. So you sent Turner to Manila to kill Voss once the list was on its way. Oh, how neat. Tell me, clean cut, why didn't you let Turner know about the sword at once? Because he was tricked. Voss planted a fake list at his hotel, hoping that Turner would find it and go his merry way, which Turner did. He didn't know it was fake until he arrived here this morning. Which, of course, didn't affect the scheduled murder. Nice and thorough, aren't you? Or have you left out some little detail I should know, like why you bothered having Turner get mixed up in this at all tonight? I would have brought the sword and sheath back for you without him. I know you would, Marlowe. That's why I hired you. But I also knew that there was a good chance that in finding the sword, you would also find that I deal in opium, not pearls. In op... Oh, fine. <laughs> and Turner was right behind me all the way, ready to kill me if I found that out from, from say, Babesco, huh? Precisely. Yeah. Turner was right behind you, Marlowe, even as Hidecki is right behind you now Where's in you... the dark! <laughs> you fool! Why do you think I kept talking here, kept confessing? Speak up, Hidecki! Hidecki, Talk! He can't, Mr. Pound. What? Hidecki is very unconscious. He's what? I hit him with a vase. A Filipino no, no. vase. No, you're lying. Hidecki! Hidecki! Pound, Hi, hold it, Pound! Oh, my leg. Oh, no. Oh. Marlo, you've got him. Marlo! What's the matter? Behind that, behind that curtain. <laughs> There's nothing there, honey. Oh. Nothing more than a friendly cat named Shushu. Yeah. Took a long time. It always does. But finally, the police in Los Angeles and the police in Manila knew exactly who had done what to whom and why. All of which left Henry Pound, the vicious little character who wouldn't even recognize honor among thieves, with a short, unpleasant future. <laughs> and I thought about him and every rotten thing he'd done as I walked through his imported island jungle to my car. I thought about him and Babesco, about Turner, the houseboy, about Eugene Voss, and... I didn't think about Claire Saunders until I got to my car. Was in behind the wheel, headlights on. <laughs> the words were written in lipstick the length and breadth of my windshield. Still, dear, I stepped out when nobody was looking. But don't fret. Because from here on out, I'm going to be very good. I've learned my lesson. P.S. My plane doesn't leave until morning. Would you like to help me wait, wait for it at the airport cafe. They have good food and they're open all night. Claire. <laughs> airport cafe. It's an hour's drive. Unless I hurry.
The Adventures of Philip Marlowe, bringing you Raymond Chandler's most famous character, star Gerald Moore, are produced and directed by Norman MacDonald and are written for radio by Robert Mitchell and Gene Levitt. Gerald Moore can currently be seen starring in Republic's The Blonde Bandit. Featured in our cast were Gene Bates, Junius Matthews, Barney Phillips, Byron Kane, Paul Fries, and Anthony Barrett. The special music is composed and conducted by Richard Arant. Be sure and be with us again next week when Philip Marlowe says... This time an old Spanish woman who cared, a redhead and a mink who didn't, and a green suede button beside a corpse, all led me to a wounded man with a gun in his hand, cornered on a warehouse roof. Now, stay tuned for Pursuit, which follows immediately on most of these same CBS stations. This is Roy Rowan speaking. This is CBS, where Burns and Allen are heard every Wednesday night, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Get this and get it straight. Crime is a sucker's road, and those who travel it wind up in the gutter of the prison of the grave. This time an old Spanish woman who cared, a red-headed mink who didn't, and a green suede button beside a corpse, all led me to a wounded man with a gun in his hand, cornered on a warehouse roof. It happened like this. From the pen of Raymond Chandler, outstanding author of crime fiction, comes his most famous character in The Adventures of Philip Marlowe. Now, with Gerald Moore starred as Philip Marlowe, we bring you tonight's transcribed story, The Man on the Roof. Don't shoot again. What are you talking about, Marlowe? He's a killer. He's armed and dangerous. Listen to me. What do you want us to do? Stall him and send him home without a supper? Matthews, I'm going up after him. No, you're not, Marlowe. Come here. Let's go with me, Matthews. Listen, Marlowe, nobody goes up there. We're going to gas him out. Come on, Mooney. Call for launchers. Matthews, please, listen to me, will you? Oh, why not? Tell me the whole story. We've got nothing but time till they get here with those launchers. Please, Matthews, quit kidding. Nobody is kidding, Marlowe. That boy up there is a killer. Keep watching that roof, Becker. You may get curious. Well, Marlowe, this story you got. About ten minutes ago, Matthews. At Matthews, the beginning, Marlowe. Go on, Phil. I'm trying we'll to. We'll start at the front. I'm a sucker for detail. You've got a half hour before the tear gas arrives. Okay, Matthews, I'll start at the front and skip nothing. Right. I'll start where it started four hours ago at five o'clock this evening, some 15 miles from here on the outskirts of a little town of San Fernando. 
A telephone call from a woman whose voice had said that she was old in Spanish and very worried had brought me out to the place. A woman named Senora Andrade who told me that her only boy was heading for a lot of trouble and that I had to stop him. The Andrade home stood out like a thoroughbred alongside the milkman's horse in comparison to the other houses squatting on the sun-baked soil. And the Senora herself, at maybe 60 and in a cheap black cotton dress, a lace shawl and homemade slippers, was the tidiest person I'd ever seen. When she bowed from the waist in graceful greeting, I saw a single small ivory comb was the only thing holding a mass of long gray hair in one neat bundle. Senor Marlo, you will excuse me if I do not extend you the hospitality of my house, but Pedro, uh, pity likes to be named. He's already gone. There is no wasting time. Of course. Uh, Pete your son, Senora, huh? Si. And a good boy, Senor Marlo. Here. Here is a photograph of him. It is taken only a week ago on his 25th birthday. Really? He was so proud of that green jacket I made for him. It was swayed and flashing, he said. Flashing like something the rich Mr. Alex Brucher would wear. He has it on every day since then, even today. Alex Brucher? Who's that, Mrs. Andrade? The senor who owns the warehouse for furs in Los Angeles. Oh? Number 12, Commercial Street. It's where my people worked until two days ago, when the trouble started. Well, what happened, senora? It was during his lunchtime. He was eating from a meal I made for him like he always does and talking to a stranger, some... Um, how you say, senor? A man with no job all the time. A, a bum, a hobo, uh, a loafer? Uh, see, si, loafer, <laughs> see. He was just telling me how, how he was telling him to find the railroad yards. That, senor, is where the trouble began. Oh, please, senor Marlo, you will have a chair there. Oh, yes, thanks. Now, uh, tell me, senora, this trouble. Surely giving instructions to a loafer, as you say, didn't start it. Oh, but it did. After the lunch hour, the foreman, a senor Connor, questioned Pedro about this loafer. And when my boy said that the man was only asking for the railroad guards, this senor Connor said he was a liar, that Pedro was giving out information about the shipments of furs, that he was fired, discharged. Just like that? Let's see, senor. After two years of good, hard work, you see, Senor Marlowe, Pedro tells me that Senor Alex Brucher has been having his shipments of first stolen on the road. Um, hijack? Uh, see, si, mm. hijack. And it is this reason why Pedro is fired. You, uh, you want me to prove to Mr. Alex Brucher that Pete had nothing to do with his hijacking, huh? Get his job back, is that no, it? No, 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 Senor. It is too late. Why too late? Pedro already went down there this morning to do that. Oh. He went and told Senor Connor, the foreman, that he had nothing to do with the hijack. And more, he told him, Senor Marlowe, that he was fired because of Helen Castile. Who's that? Uh, the pretty girl who for a short time now works in Senor Brucher's office. Oh. Well, then I don't understand, Senora. This Helen Castile and my boy are falling in love. But Senor Brucher also likes this girl. Oh. What happened when Pete told this to Mr. Brucher? He never did. Before he even got to speak to Senor Brocha, that devil man, Senor Connor, and some other men beat him. Cut his face, blood on his arms, his clothing torn. He came home just before I called to you. Almost dead, Senor. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, uh, how about now? Now, Senor Malo, Pedro has gone back. Revenge in his heart. That is why you must stop him. Senor, senor, you must bring him home before he kills. Before it is too late. Take it easy. No, 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 take it easy, Pobrecito. Don't worry. I'm sure I can bring him back. Positive. Oh, gracias, 
Senor it's all right. It's all right. Here, here, Senor, in this can. I have money. Nineteen, maybe more dollars here. You take no, it. No, 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 no. Not yet, Mrs. Andrade. I, uh, uh, I don't think it'll cost that much. We'll see, huh? Goodbye, Senora. It was an hour's drive to the Brucha Fug Company warehouse on Commercial Street in downtown L.A. And I started up a long cement ramp that led to a glass cage in a far corner of the warehouse marked office. It was just about the end of a working day. And when I was next to the door, let it enter. A bell someplace said that the end had arrived. You could tell the way everyone's spirits went up. Everyone except the girl inside, half leaning on a file cabinet. I figured she was Helen Castile until I got closer. The on-fire red hair and green eyes with hat and shoes to match could have gotten by. But the coat she wore was mink. So was the attitude. That would never take shorthand for 40 bucks a week. Things just couldn't get that tough. You look like you lost something. Oh, is Helen still here, Helen Castile? Going to powder her nose, maybe back before she leaves for the day, may not. I don't know. Oh. You a friend of hers? No, Pete Andrade's. Never heard of him. Got a light. Oh. Please. Sure, sure. Now, uh, tell me, Miss... Haynes, Corey Haynes. You? Marlow, Philip Marlow. Miss Haynes, is Alex Brucher around? Mm-mm, home packing is going out of town. It does mm. every other week. Important business? No, I just wanted to chat with him a while. Oh, Connor... Is uh, Alex's car Gaston ready for me? Yeah, it's ready. It's ready, Miss Haynes. Here are the keys. Thank you. And, Connor, please, stop wishing I were dead, will you? I can feel it, and it gives me the creeps. Oh, I'm so sorry, Miss Haynes, but, well, maybe we won't be seeing so much of one another so soon. If you mean Helen Castile, Connor, she's a great secretary, period. Yeah, sure. Now you, Mr. Marlowe. Mr. Marlowe. I'm a friend of Pete Andrade's. I want to... You said enough, mister. Almost too much. Now, wait a minute, Connor. What I... for? A lot of hot air? Listen, Marlowe, we've been running into all kinds of trouble around here. Hijacking, short shipments, misdirected cargoes of works. So? So it all adds up to somebody on the inside helping somebody on the outside, and that ain't good. Now, take my advice, brother. Get your long nose out of this place and keep it out if you don't want it bent. It's the phone, Connor. If you lift it up, it'll stop that noise. Very funny. Hello. Oh, hello, Mr. Brucher. Yeah. Yeah, okay, I got it. Charming fella, isn't he? He'll be down here in a couple hours mm. and I'm to wait. Check. Check, Mr. Brucher. Goodbye. His master's voice. Mm. Very funny again. Uh, you'd better let me have the keys back, Miss Haynes. The boss isn't going out of town after all. He'll probably want his car. And I'll probably give it to him myself after I've run a few errands I have in mind. Goodbye, Mr. Marlowe. I hope we meet again in more pleasant surroundings. You two go to rival schools, Connor? Get out of here, Marlowe. Get out before you get the same treatment your friend Pete Andrade got. Oh, you've got to be kidding. You wouldn't do that to me, Connor. I'm not in love with Helen Castile. That goes for you, too, in spades. What? Over here behind the crates. I don't want Connor to see us. I'm Helen Castile. How do you know who I am? There's an intercom phone in the office you just left. Yeah, I see what you mean. I knew Pete was in some trouble. I hadn't heard from him in two days. <laughs> Mr. Marlowe, what they've done to him is terrible. How do you know about it? Did Pete come to you? No, his mother hired me. I'm a private oh. detective, which uh, 
Helen brings up a sharp point. Are you sure you're not playing both sides, baby? Well, you all right, up... save it, save it. That's all I wanted to know. Well, you want... You mean you just said that to see how I'd act? Well, I had to be sure. After all, you're still working for Alex Brucher. Not anymore. I only stayed on before this because I didn't want Pete to be fired. Oh, shh, them... shh, hold it. I think we've got company. It could be rats. There's some around. Yeah, with and without brass knucks. Now listen, honey, for everybody's good, I don't want Pete mixing with Alex Brucher. Now, before you get out of here, tell me fast, where does the boss live? 41 West Adams Foot. 41 West, okay, now go. I'll cover you till you clear of the place. Go on. All right, my car's across the street. If you need any help later, Mr. Marlowe... Get Marlo... going, that rat may have friends. Okay. Goodbye, Mr. Marlowe. <laughs> Helen got to the front gate, out into her car and away without anybody bothering her. And a couple of minutes later, I covered the same smooth course, and I was beginning to believe that the rats were just that, except that when I was in behind the wheel of my coupe and heading for Adams Boulevard, I picked up a pair of headlights in my rearview mirror, which for the next 40 minutes have zigzagged, stuck like they were painted there. But finally, a traffic jam gave me all the break I needed, and a sharp right turn followed by a lot of speed left me free and once again on my way to West Adams Boulevard. The place was turn-of-the-century stone block mansion, but the rest of the neighborhood had gone slumming a long time ago. I was about to try the knocker when I noticed a thin slice of pale light that said the front door wasn't closed all the way. I started in, edging toward the sick light that came from a single lamp in what used to be called the library. And then suddenly I saw him. A man in a smoking jacket, lavishly monogrammed A.B., his face beaten raw, his clothing almost shredded, blood clotted thick on the back of his head dead in the corner of the room. Next to the body was a heavy marble lamp base, also bloody. Inches from that, I found something that might as well have been Pete Andrade's calling card. A button made of green suede I had in my pocket just before the company spoke up. Don't go for your gun, Marlowe. That'd leave us even. <laughs> so the kid finally made it, huh? Maybe. Maybe I did it, Connor. Nuts. You just came in, I know. I was waiting outside. The jerk I had on your trail last year, I figured I'd better leave the office, but quick, I figured right. But tell me, Marlowe, just so I score 100%, what's your angle? The Andrade kid's mother. I'm a private detective who was working for her. She was afraid of this. Oh, no, stop. The sentiment's killing I me. I wish something would. Well, let's call the police. Not so fast. What do you mean? I've already got the rest of my figuring done. About now, the kid should be at his girlfriend Helen's flat. I know where it is, and that's where I'm going. You see, Marlowe, I want to be a hero. I want to bring the kid in. Understand? Oh, sure, sure. Real easy. You want to bring him in dead. That way nobody even mentions the beating you gave him on Brucher's orders. Because he wouldn't stay away from Helen. That way you're clean. Exactly. Clean as a whistle. Except for you and your big mouth. Now stand still, Peeper. I want to whisper something in your ear. In just a moment, the second act of Philip Marlowe. But first, you're going to think the laughter of April Fool's Day came late when you listen to CBS this Wednesday night, for it's going to be one of the craziest, merriest, maddest nights of entertainment you've ever heard. Bing Crosby will be playing host to Arthur Godfrey and Perry Como. And even though lots of singing is promised from all three, who knows what's going to happen when the gags start flying. 
Groucho Marx and Burns and Allen will also be on hand with their famous fun shows this Wednesday. These great stars will be here on most of these same CBS stations. Burns and Allen, Groucho Marx, and Arthur Godfrey and Perry Como as Bing Crosby's guests. Now with our star, Gerald Moore, we return to the second act of Philip Marlowe and tonight's story, The Man on the Roof. Conestart had towed me with a 38 wrapped in his thick fist. I figured I'd better do something about him and do it fast. I waited until he walked around Bruch's body on the floor and it was out of his line of vision, then I pointed at it. Connor, look, look, he's moving. What's that? Hey! An old trick, sucker. Now let's throw your gun out of the conversation. It'll start over. Come on, get up. Get your hands off. Get them off, you crummy. Look, Heavy, I'm going to get an answer out of you one way or another. Make it easy on yourself. Now get up. I said get up. Oh. All right. All right, what? You win this round. That's better. What do you want to know? Helen Castile's address. She's got her room. No, number four. 3,200 Crenshaw. Hey, thanks! So long, muscles. I knew there wasn't much more I could do for a desperate hothead named Pete Andrade. He'd already done too much for himself in the wrong direction. I drove down Adams until I'd cooled off enough to call the police. And I stopped at a phone booth and gave Homicide a fast rundown on Alex Bruch's murder. But I hung up before they could ask me Senora Andrade's address in San Fernando or Helen Castile's place on Crenshaw. Because there were two women I wanted to talk to alone before the police moved in. After that, I drove out to Crenshaw and found the number 3200. Room four was at the far end of a half-lit hall. And there were voices inside. One was Helen's. The other was Pete Andrade. I reached for my gun. I went out of my head, Helen. I must have hit him nine or ten times, hard. What are we going to do? I don't know. I've got to think. It's a little late for thinking, Pete. Who are you? He's a private detective. Yeah, I'm working for your mother. I was up until I left Bruch's place. He's dead, Pete. Pete! Oh, no. I didn't mean to kill him. But I'm not sorry. I want you to come along with me, Pete. Quietly. Turn yourself in. No! Pete! Helen, get away from me. Stop it, you little... Got it. Don't move, Marlo. Don't move or I'll shoot. You crazy fools. I knew you wouldn't shoot me, Marlo. Next time you'll be surprised. There won't be a next time. We're going to get away. It's our only chance now. You haven't got a chance if you run. You'll be dogged every minute of your short lives. You'll wind up full of bullets in the dark. You'll be running down a blind alley and it starts right there with that door. Don't be suckers. Shut up. We're going to try it, Marlo. And we'll make it. We've got to have money, Pete. Yeah, and I know where to get it, too. Brewster always kept plenty of petty cash in the office at the warehouse. I'll take that. What about the watchman, Pete? Are you going to keep on killing? Pete, listen. You can get in quietly with Brutcher's keys. Corey Haynes has them. The office keys are in the same ring as the car keys. She always borrows them when she uses his car, and she's got it tonight. Well, I'll get them from her. Where does she live? Out on Orange Drive. 210, I think. Will you listen to me a minute? You're heading for the original dead end, both of you. Why don't you give yourselves a break? Now, what do you call a break, Marlo? Pete rotting in some prison until we're both too old to care? I'd rather have the bullets. Let's get him out of here. That closet will do. Go on, Marlo, inside. Move! Sure, sure. What are you waiting for? Go on, close it. I know what you tried to do for my mother, Marlo, and for Helen and me. I'm sorry it couldn't work out. Thanks, anyway. Nuts. I'm leaving, Helen. I'm ready. You're not coming. You're staying here. What? Marlo was right. This is a blind alley, a dead end, and I won't take you in. No, Pete, I'm going with you. No, you're not. Stay back. 
Amina. Please. Stay back, I tell you. <laughs> Ellen. Ellen, unlock this door. We still may be able to stop him. I'm playing this my way now, Marlo. You can stay where you are. Helen, don't you understand? I'm I on your him. side. I'm going with him whether he wants me or not. So long, Marlo. Happy landings, baby. The lock on the closet door gave up before I did, but only because it was older by several years. I got out of the house and kept ahead of the speed limit all the way to Orange Drive and figured for what it was worth that I'd cut Pete's lead down to a scant ten minutes. I parked in front of a spudnut coffee shop on the corner and walked down to 210. By the time I got within knocking distance of Corey Haynes' front door, I could see that the only light in the place was spilling out of the sunken double garage that housed the new gray Nash. But when I moved closer, I knew that ten minutes was all that Pete Andrade had needed. Corey was sprawled out on the grease-spattered concrete floor and very still. Very still. Standing limply against the wall was Helen Castile, staring down at the redhead with a pair of hopeless eyes that seemed already half dead. As I walked down the ramp, she heard me and looked up. I knew you'd get here. I don't care now. We're both late, is that it? Yeah. I didn't see him. He was already gone when I got here. Found her like that. Then he must have gotten the keys. Yes, from her purse. That's it over there. Uh huh. Why didn't you follow him? You knew where he was heading. I couldn't. I, when I saw her there, I, I just couldn't because I think she's dead, too. No, no. She isn't dead. You mean she's just out? Yeah. A long way out, but not dead. From the looks of things, she must have put up quite a scrap. Maybe she... Wait a minute. What? There's something screwy here. I... Oh! oh, Miss Corey! Oh. Miss Corey, what's happened? Who are you? Miss Corey's maid. What's happened to her? Oh, she's unconscious. Oh, this is terrible. She knew there was going to be trouble. I swear she didn't. Miss Corey, honey, speak How to How do you me. know that? Because she was worried. She told me four or five times she was going to stay in all evening, like she was expecting somebody. Sure, sure. It figures oh. all the way. Look, look here. Are you sure this is her purse? It certainly is. Was she robbed? Not exactly, but... Oh, yeah, yeah. This clinches it. Oh. Now, look, call an ambulance right away. Get Corey into a hospital and hurry. Oh, yes, sir. Helen, you I... stay here with her. Don't leave, understand? Right. I'll see you. That's it, Matthews. That's why I broke a few speed laws getting from Corey's garage down here to the warehouse. Yeah. Because I had to find Pete and tell him before it was too late. I'm still not sure you made it, Marlowe. Look. Look, this was dropped near Brooch's body. I just saw the mate to it in Corey Haynes' garage. Look, that's not conclusive. No, but these are. The papers I pulled out of her purse. Take a look at them. Go yeah. ahead. One glance will tell you where they came from and why. You get it, don't you, Lieutenant? Yeah, I get it. Certainly I get it. What a rotten setup. Well, then you got to let me go up that fire escape and talk to him. He'll listen to me, Matthews. I know he will. I told you once before, Phil, he's been hit and he's cornered up there. It's driven him haywire. He'll probably blow the top of your head off, but... Go ahead. Go on up and try it. I'll pass the word. As I walked across the street and started up the fire escape, I knew Pete Andrade from someplace in the shadows on the roof was watching me. Every inch of the way. But I climbed up to the fourth floor before I spotted him. His head inched out over the ledge. I own 38 in his hand. I, I went on to the fifth floor and, and started up the ladder to the roof when it came. Stop there. That's close enough. It's Marlowe, Pete. I know. That's the only reason you got this far. You got lots of nerve, Marlowe. Pete! I didn't bring a gun. Because I just came to ask you a question. Nothing else. The 
question? Yeah, a big one. Did you use anything on Brucha except your fist, Pete? No. Why, what's the difference? Plenty. I don't think you killed Brucha. What? Is this a trick? No, no, look, Pete, no trick. Look at this, I found this green suede button near Brucha's body. I thought it came from your jacket, but it didn't. It was torn from a pair of green suede shoes that Corey Haynes had on tonight. Corey Haynes? I don't get you. It means first she's a liar, that she saw Brucha tonight. It means she got there after you did, probably found him unconscious while you'd left him and finished the job with a heavy marble lamp base. You're crazy. This is a trick. Why would she kill him? They were going together. They had been, until Brucha got interested in Helen. Yeah? After that, Corey was on the way out, and she knew it. She decided to get all she could out of him while she had the chance. Go on. Every time she borrowed his car, she used the keys to get into the office, steal information out of the files, and sell it. She was the informer. Let's see. I'm coming up, Pete. How do you know all this? I found some papers to prove it in her purse. She was in a tough spot when Brucha changed his mind about leaving town tonight. Yeah? She had to get the papers back in the files or Brucha would discover they were missing. But Connor staying in the office prevented it, so she was trapped. I see. When she saw a chance to kill Brucha and have you blamed for it, she grabbed at it. Are you convinced, kid? I... I almost shot you, Marla. Why did you take such a risk and climb up here? Because your mother has some ideas that I wouldn't like to see her lose, Pete. Also, I wanted my gun back. Well, do I get it? Yeah. You bet. Here. And thanks, Marla. I feel so good now. I guess I can. I know just how you feel, kid. I don't climb fire escapes like this every night. Believe me. long, long time before all the scattered reports were in. Before the doctor in the prison ward had said that Pete would be okay, and before Corey Haynes had put a wobbly signature to a full confession of murder. And still another hour went by as I drove out across the wide, flat valley to San Fernando, where the profile of the hills in the east had already begun to show against the gray dawn rising behind them. And when I stopped in front of the little house and went up to the door... Senora Andrade was there on the porch. She'd waited all night. Her expression didn't change when I told her all that had happened. Didn't change, actually, until I was finally ready to leave. Then she put out her hand and took my arm. The lines of worry in her face softened. Senor Marlowe, last night I had but one son. Now this morning I have two. In my heart, you will always have a home. I am grateful. Gracias. She was most welcome.
The Adventures of Philip Marlowe, bringing you Raymond Chandler's most famous character, star Gerald Moore, are produced, directed, and transcribed by Norman MacDonald, and are written for radio by Robert Mitchell and Gene Levitt. Gerald Moore may currently be seen starring in Republic's The Blonde Bandit. Featured in our cast tonight were Virginia Gregg, Jack Edwards, Lillian Biaf, Doris Singleton, and Jack Crucian. Detective Lieutenant Matthews is played by Larry Dobkin. The special music is composed and conducted by Richard Arant. Be sure and be with us again next week when Philip Marlowe says... This time a platinum wristwatch, a body on a lonely strip of beach, and a case of heart failure in a Beverly Hills garage. All added up to blackmail, 25 years old, and a killer who would never be caught.